Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from sunny Pleasant Grove. Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. I'm Charles Max Wood, working on my MVP course for developers. So go check that out to level up your career. We have a special guest this week, and that is Matt Holt. Matt, do you want to say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. I'm uh, glad to be here. I work on the Caddy web server. Been doing that for about five years. Just finished school with master's degree in computer science, and I'm now working full time on the Caddy web server. Yeah, when my mom got her got her master's degree, we asked her if we should call her master. Of course, that didn't change much for us. Anyway, hey folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire full stack developer just like you, and that's Faith Life. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full stack developers who can do C-sharp or JavaScript on the back end and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife. Very cool. So do you want to kind of give us the 10,000 foot view on Caddy and what it does? Sure. So Caddy is a web server, just like, well, not just like, but it's in the same class as, say, Nginx or Apache or Envoy and Traffic and those kinds of software if you've used them. So anytime you have a website that you're serving, there's a, there's like always a web server. I know that a lot of JavaScript developers use Node's built-in server. So a lot of programming languages and standard libraries also have HTTP servers built in. Mm -hmm. uh, but Caddy is a bit unique because... So, so it is a web server tool that you can you can write a config file for and deploy. It's completely static, self-contained binaries. So it's very easy to to put out there. But it also does uniquely it does HTTPS by default. It's the only web server to automate your HTTPS by default without having to turn it on. It will just use HTTPS for you and keep your certificates renewed. So that's kind of its. It's kind of its main unique thing, but there's a lot more to it, of course. So, yeah, that's what it is. Nice. Now, AJ, you're the one that set this up. Was there a direction you wanted to go with this? Because I could ask questions all day about HTTP and Nginx and reverse proxies and stuff like that. But I didn't know what exactly you had in mind here. Yeah, well, actually, let me first dig in a little bit to the impetus behind Caddy, because I think... Like from my experience with it, there's more to it than just it does HTTPS. I think that's the main selling point, but I think there's a lot of other stuff that's gone into it that, you know, about developer experience seem to be a really big key point on that. And so I'd wondering if you'd talk a little bit about that. And then afterwards, I've got some questions to ask about the the HTTP, HTTP stack. Sure. So is there anything in particular you wanted to know about the developer experience? Well, yeah, I mean, like, just kind of the, the story of what brought you along, like, what, why the choices that you made as you started building it, what what the oh, focus right. of or what, because, I, I mean, I remember seeing a lot of stuff on the early web page, and I think, you know, it's probably still there today, although I don't check the homepage as, as often, about developer experience and what you were trying to improve. So what's the problem with other web servers, aside from HTTPS not being present and and what are you solving in, the, in that arena? 
Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So one of the motivations I had for writing Caddy as a developer in college, my undergrad program was that I had to build a bunch of little websites and also my, my job that I was working at the time and setting up other web servers to, to serve these little sites over and over was getting a little tedious and trying to figure out how to configure them and get them just right and get the features I needed too, especially like markdown rendering. Is like really tricky with your typical like Apache or Nginx web server. And we're talking like 2014, 2013 at the time. Mm -hmm. So in 2014, I started writing Caddy, a new web server in Go, because Go seemed like a good fit for it and I could add the features that I needed. And so the idea is that you, at the time at least, the main focus for like the developer experience and enhancing that was that I just wanted a simple little config file where I just like type the name of the site. So like the domain name or the port that I want to serve on or whatever, and then hit enter and then just type the features I want one per line. So I type like markdown, hit enter, and it could render markdown files, type proxy and, you know, type a backend address and it could proxy it to, you know, some application I have running, hit enter, type root, you know, whatever, and it can serve static files out of a root directory. So that kind of thing. And then in like two minutes, you have this site working whether locally or in production. And so the developer experience here was just make three or four line config file and then run Caddy and your site is up and running either you know locally as you're running, working on all your little dev sites or, or in production and you can transfer that to production. It was a lot easier to figure out than kind of these more and the antiquity of these other web servers that also didn't cross platforms very well. That was something else I needed to do is cross between like Windows and Mac and Linux. So Caddy does that very well, especially Caddy too. So anyway, the developer experience was like kind of the number one priority at first. It's like, oh, this is easy to use. This is simple. Look at all the stuff it can do. And this kind of new take on configuring backend services. But then years later, as the project grew and became more popular, I found out that Focusing on like focusing on easy to use was probably the wrong idea because like it, it severely limited what it could do. And I can go on for an hour about that, so I won't. But <laughs> I think marketing caddy as like something that's easy to use was a mistake. It's not necessarily wrong, but I think people go in expecting it to work they that work the way that they want it to work. And when they find out that it's a little different or it doesn't work quite that way, but it's still easy. It's just not according to their assumptions. Then they get like get upset or frustrated. So so I no longer say Caddy is easy to use, but like it's, it's a powerful tool that, that can be used very simply. You just have to first know how it works, know how your stack works. Everything from the front end to the back end to how the internet works is just very important when using any web server. So Again, a lot of you are, are JavaScript developers and you're very aware of the complexities of, of all of that stack. So, but, but Caddy tries to make it easier to wield. Okay, I was just going to say, I think Caddy is super easy to use. Like, I, I love this cross-platform. I love that it's, you know, one or two command line flags and you can be up and running with a little local development server and not more than one or two command line flags and you've got it up and running on a production server. So I am super... You know, I, I, I agree that it, to, from my perspective, it is easy to use. And, and the config is not always 100% intuitive, but I, I've yet to see a web server where that is the case. So anyway, go on. My, 
Yeah. So my question, and Chuck kind of mentioned this too, but it feels like a good way to start the conversation. I feel like Nginx is just like the go-to for pretty much everyone. So would you mind comparing Caddy to the to Nginx? Like why would somebody either want to build with Caddy instead of Nginx or why would somebody want to move their project over? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a loaded question. I get that a lot. So web servers are complicated. There's a lot of dimensions, you know, which we can look at this. A lot of dimensions that people focus on, like performance, don't actually matter to most people. You can run Python's simple HTTP server or PHP's little built-in server on most sites in production if you really wanted to, and it would be just fine performance-wise. But like, there's a lot of other dimensions that actually matter that affect your experience more, your developer experience, and that is configuration, feature set, how it handles errors and things like that. So, so that's a difficult question to answer, but I think... The main things you'll notice when you compare Caddy and Nginx as a developer is, is one, the experience. I think the Caddy experience is a little better. You will notice that our community is, is newer. Obviously, Caddy is only about five or six years old, which, by the way, is about the same age as Kubernetes. So like a lot of people are like, oh, it's not mature enough to use Caddy in production. You know, so we'll use Nginx. Well, I mean, you're using Kubernetes and Docker, like those are about the same age as Caddy. If you're using Core DNS, which is what Kubernetes uses for its DNS service, that's a Caddy plugin and fork, which is newer than Caddy, and you're already relying on that. So, so yeah, Caddy's newer. You'll notice that its documentation is we, we strive to make it good, but it 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 needs more examples. Our community wiki could be flushed out more. So Nginx examples and documentation are probably more accessible and easier to find. I think overall, though, you'll find that you can do more with Caddy in less time, with less code, with less lines of config for really comparable performance across the board, unless you're like Google or Cloudflare or Netflix. But all of them use Go in production on, at their edge anyway. And this is going to perform the same as any other Go server. So. Yeah, I think you're going to find that it's easier to use. The feature set's comparable. If you use a lot of like Nginx modules that you might add, di like dynamically link in Caddy, everything is statically linked. So you'll have to recompile to add features. Which but that's is also not a nice thing. because, right, it's easy and we, we make it easy. We have tools. There's even our websites, point and click and download, you know, with custom features. So, and for reference, um, for those that, I, I mean, because there's a, compiling has a bad rap, and I just want to, you know, make sure this is clear. This is not like compiling C. Compiling Go happens in the same, Go, the Go compiler is just as fast as the Node interpreter. You, you hit Node, and you run some JavaScript, and it takes it, you know, half of a second to load the modules, and then your program starts running. Go. It goes through, reads the modules, half a second later, it's done compiling. Yeah, that's true. And, and I in don't fact, know if Caddy might be big enough that it takes, you know, three or four seconds, but I imagine it doesn't take more than 10. Right, yeah. And I mean, it should be a lot lighter weight than your NPM, like your node modules folder <laughs> overall as well. <laughs> as far as my understanding <laughs> is a lot of JavaScript. Yeah, my understanding is a lot of JavaScript projects are compiled these days, which boggles the mind. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think, Caddy, compiling Caddy is, is fine. It's a lot easier than compiling. Like if you have to download Nginx, compile it from source and figure that stuff out, you got all these dependents. Like it's kind of a pain. I've done it 
Go is much simpler, I think. So just, just I'm not super familiar with Go. I've talked to a few people about it, but I haven't actually done anything with it. So when you run Caddy, then it actually compiles and then executes. Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. So you'll you'll compile it and then you'll have a static binary executable that okay. you just run. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So it's not, it's not I, just, I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, to the point, you know, regarding JavaScript, I mean, it compiles and optimizes a ton of your code. It's just that it happens when you start the process to interpret it. And then it interprets the, you know, whatever it comes out of the other end after it does the abstract syntax tree and things like that. And okay. it still does just-in-time compiling as it runs to optimize things further. So anyway, you, you could make the argument that JavaScript compiles. It just doesn't give you an executable binary at the end of the thing. You just run the process and it essentially compiles what it is going to compile, interprets the rest, and runs it in a process. So that's why I was asking. Gotcha. Okay, so, gotcha. But if you're using something like, I think it's called PKG for Node, and this is what Dino does automatically. Like that you actually you actually can get single output binaries for Node and for Dino as well. Oh, but interesting. It, it, and it, and it, it's similar to the way that Go works in that some assets are packaged as assets almost basically like a if you were to if you're familiar with cat, if you were to like take cat mm -hmm. and the node binary. And then you were to take your project and zip it together and you were to do cat node project.zip and then redirect that out to my executable name or project name. It's that similar process is actually common across all three where okay. assets can get built in. And the difference between say node and go node, you actually can get some of the byte code compilation as part of the package that it creates but you don't get the assembly compilation. Right. Whereas Go always compiles all the way down to assembly on the first run, whereas Node is more of a hybrid approach. So allow me to clear my throat and piss off everybody who loves JavaScript. So a .pkg file is essentially a jar file. A not .pkg, but the, with the Node, when you use the program pkg, mm -hmm. you create a Node self-contained. Okay package yep that i mean that's what you described though is effectively what a jar file is in java yeah you zip bytecode along but it does the jar also include like your default index index.html or like png assets i guess it does because you build it, it, it includes all of that the only thing it doesn't include is the java virtual machine you have to have that installed on whatever wherever you're running and i think yeah, that be and, the only difference okay anyway that's a bit of a tangent there Nerding out, sorry. No, anyway, so, so yeah, so that's interesting. So with Caddy, it's a whole lot easier. If I want to plug in, I just tell it I want the plugin and it'll recompile it in more or less if I use the tooling. Yep. It's easier than NPM install. <laughs> and that is true. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I wanted to get on to, you know, you're talking about performance. And that's something that I do want to touch on because regardless of how unimportant it is, it's something that mm, you know, people like to brag about at the water cooler. You know, like empires of code have risen and fallen based on micro ticks. 
which I don't even know what a micro tick is, but it's some fancy new term that's getting thrown around, at least in the JavaScript world, to describe that basically, if I understand correctly, one fewer function call. I think a function call is considered a micro tick. But anyway, so like, you know, entire libraries rise and fall in popularity based on stupid benchmarks that don't, you know, even show real world performance. But performance is something that's important. Uh, to some degree. I mean, obviously, it, yeah. you know, you're talking about the example of the Python web server. I would argue you can't run that in production because it can't handle more than one connection at a time. It's it's single threaded or depending on which version of it you use. If, if you're using the built-in Python 2.7 or 2.8 or whatever it is, it's, it's single threaded. So you could not use that in production. Um, I mean, the long tail of websites probably could. I think like three or four of my own little personal sites get like 10 visitors per day. And I think a lot of people's sites fall in that category. That's, but yeah, sure. you're right. Sure, you, you get more bot traffic and uh, Google indexing traffic than you get users. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. But I, I mean, and, and I, 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 yeah, I totally hear what you're saying about it's newer, but the performance is not... You know, if you compare it to other tools, it's actually in the same category because if you if you run Nginx with zero modules, like you're not going to get faster performance because it's you know hand optimized, event loop, you know, byte all the byte buffers are picked very very explicitly for the particular purpose of of what it's doing, et cetera, et cetera. But I am sure that as this went from okay, let's make something that's a little easy to set up to let's make something that serves uh, and, and, and serves HTTPS to let's make something that now, I mean, how many thousands of people are using this? Are you in, are you into the hundreds of thousands or is it millions? I mean, you, I, you know, I don't know. We had a, we had telemetry for a while and it was expensive. So it shut it down, but without that, it's hard to, hard to tell. I mean, we have tens of millions of Docker polls and, you know, millions of downloads on the website and hundreds of thousands of Git clones. As far as how many users that translates to, I don't know, because we never did collect, you know, personally identifiable stuff or IP addresses. So, like, it's really hard to tell. Well, at the very least, you could say millions of people are benefiting from the caddy. Yeah, I think so. I I do know it has secured, are we in the trillions of connections now? Yeah. So... Okay. And and so as you get to that scale, I'm sure you've had to go back and tweak some things. And I'm wondering what what things came up from your, you know, original naive implementation, which was probably based on the standard library and some, you know, tutorials <laughs> you found to what you have now. Like what what were some of the important things that changed? And and what, yeah. what parts of the stack were they influenced or did they influence? That's a good question. Okay, yeah. So I remember the first day it was on Hacker News back in twenty early 2015. And there was a bug in Caddy, like 0.5 or whatever version it was, where sometimes files would be like web pages that all be downloaded as .gz files, like gzip files. <laughs> sometimes, not all the time. So that was, so we've had issues with like, so again, there's a lot of like there's a lot of dimensions and and layers here of performance because this was in particular the compression module that had a bug and was sending gzipped content instead of gzip encoded content and any anyway. So aside from like fixing the initial bugs that impacted performance, 
a lot of things. So there's not a whole lot we can do to actually improve performance beyond what the Go standard library does, which it already does very well. I think most of the performance gains probably do come from the Go runtime being optimized over the years, which it has really come a long way in many ways is even superior to that of other language runtimes, especially its scheduler. And so, so we've seen performance improvements with regards to garbage collection. So the Go team has, has really worked hard on improving the garbage collector, getting it down to a few microseconds, you know, less often and, and stuff like that. Within Caddy, the biggest performance bottlenecks are, are probably in proxying and encoding, like on the fly. So anytime that we have to gzip a response that allocates memory, typically, I mean, we can only, we can do so much, we can pool buffers and, and whatever, but algorithms have some fundamental like limits, their performance that only caching can really help with. Proxying, there's a lot to that because there's a lot of IO going on. Instead of your typical unidirectional IO where, where you're just serving like, let's say something out of memory to a client, you've got that one socket that you're doing IO with. But the reverse proxy, you've got two sockets and actually a third because then you have your backend application and that complicates things even more. But you've got buffering in between those two sockets and managing that buffer, pooling your resources and managing concurrency and not just your, your memory usage and allocations, but also the network stack. There's a lot to manage there. And, and then how that interacts with the operating system. Each operating system is a little different and with, with socket parameters and system calls. And, and it gets gnarly really fast. And so that's this, only the this stuff. This is that, all stuff that I don't think anybody, well, not obviously not anybody, we've got thousands of listeners, but that's you're talking like you're talking a language that I think very few people in the Node or JavaScript community are familiar oh, with yeah. right now. Right. No, you'll have no idea. Yeah. If you if all you do is JavaScript, you'll never need to touch or think about this kind of stuff. So people should just stick with JavaScript then. <laughs> well, you have a lot of problems with that too. JavaScript, <laughs> uh, I could I could JavaScript is is neat. It's clever. It's a very clever language. And I'll say that as a compliment, genuinely. But it also does a lot of horrible things under the hood, <laughs> and including its its asynchronous like event or its asynchronous model. Um, the concurrency primitives are, are anyway. Yeah, I won't I won't go off on that though. Well, I, yeah, that's I think that would be good to go off on some at some point. Um, yeah, it's fascinating how that, to it too because yeah, it is fascinating how the JavaScript runtime works and how it how it manages the different concurrent like asynchronous things going on. It's frustrating as a developer like me who wants to like who wants to have control over that stuff when I'm in JavaScript. Sometimes, like with pop up parse, that was actually a big frustration as I couldn't. I had to like you have to sometimes do little hacks in order to get certain concurrency things to work the way you want. And, um, and we talked about this before the show, but Papa Parse is uh, it's like the most popular CSV parser and it's the most performant P CSV parser because it uses web workers. And this is a project of yours primarily. Yeah. And even the web workers, uh, I remember debugging like browsers had a lot of bugs and inconsistencies with how they 
implemented the the web workers. Like you could do multi-threading in Java. I remember I gave a whole talk about this at Utah JS. AJ, you might remember. I do. Um, I do. <laughs> where I complained about how you you can actually spin off these other threads in JavaScript, which was kind of mind-blowing, like in a web browser anyway. Web browser had an API for this, but you couldn't share memory. So you had to copy the whole data set to these other, and like it defeated the point because now you... Because then your main thread's tied <laughs> up with your json.parse and your json.stringify. Yeah, and you're allocating all this memory to copy stuff, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I feel maybe we should get into the asynchronous model for JavaScript for a little bit. Do we not want to? I, do want to let's do have it. Back? Yeah, let's do it. Like well, we can time box so you know, it in like 10, 15 minutes, but we're teasing. I haven't around. looked into it for like five years, so it might have changed. You probably still know more than we do. Or at least me. Know. I won't speak for AJ. He probably knows a lot about it. All I remember is that for if I had a program in a tight loop, I have like a Stack Overflow question about this where I've documented all this stuff, but I had a program in like a tight loop and it wasn't giving, I was running out of memory and it's because it wasn't, the answers on Stack Overflow were saying that it's because I wasn't giving the browser a chance to like interrupt or preempt, like it couldn't preempt the execution and do a garbage collection. So is this a problem in Node and JavaScript that runs in the browser? I have no idea. I, so I actually don't use Node. I've never really written in Node. I've just done front-end JavaScript. So Node is V8, so all of the yeah. problems that apply to the, the browser. Thing. Okay. Yeah. I should know oh, okay. that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Node, Node worker threads are not threads. They're processes. So that's a little bit confusing. Probably Node, why you can't share memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, just, the, yeah, there's, there's a modeling issue there. So for those that are listening and, and you're not familiar, like what, what the heck does sharing memory mean? Imagine that you live in a virtual world where everything exists equally. So like the air is just as much material as is a desk or as a glass of water. And the way that you change things is by just kind of wanting them to be different. So if I wanted a can of Mountain Dew here on my desk, I would just want it to be there and then it would form out of the materials, and it would be there. And this is how memory in a computer kind of works. Like you just, you kind of want it to be there. And then it just, it is, it exists in that space. So 100% of everything exists all the time. But what it exists as is based on what you want it to be or what you tell it to be. Um, and so if you, if you had a, a, a can of Mountain Dew, which, which I do always, and, and let's say you want to, you want to tell the computer to place this can of Mountain Dew on the desk. You have one can of Mountain Dew. Now you have another part of your program that's going to read the desk and see does a can of Mountain Dew exist there. And then if it does, it's going to place a second can of Mountain Dew next to it. But if it doesn't, it's going to place the can of Mountain Dew in the first can of Mountain Dew spot. So when you have shared memory, it means that you have to have some sort of communication because you actually are running more than one thread, which is very similar to running more than one program at a time. And if you do not, if you if you do not have some sort of locking mechanism, then you get in the situation where one program is placing down a can of Mountain Dew, another program is seeing that there is no can of Mountain Dew, and since this isn't a physical world, it's a virtual world, the other piece of the program just places the second Mountain Dew inside of the first one, and in one part of your program you have a counter that says there's two cans of Mountain Dew, and in the other part of your program you have one Mountain Dew. <laughs> 
And then when you go to access the second one, the program crashes because it's not there and it just reads air. And then it's like, I don't know how to interpret air. And I, that was probably the worst explanation that anyone's ever given for shared memory. But <laughs> <laughs> that's very, that was a very AJ explanation. I, it it works. Sense at all or <laughs> that's a good one. That, that part. I think it was fine, but it's up to you guys. <laughs> Amy, did that make any sense? It did, yes. My thought was uh, good. Sorry, okay. my mouth. Yep. <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure that... <laughs> now okay, I just good. need a Mountain Dew. Yeah, uh, I can help you out, Chuck. Drive on down. I mean, okay. 7-Eleven's we'll do. probably closer, but not by much. Uh, 7-Eleven's so, around the corner. You're around the corner down the freeway. So, what Matt said, I mean, it, it made me think, so, like, how does the model in JavaScript compare to other languages, and what makes the model in JavaScript... What makes what makes the other ones better? Well, I I think the JavaScript model, the concurrency model, there is has some advantages. For one, you can't have data races, which means that you can't have a situation that AJ was describing where one party program, for example, thinks that there are two Mountain Dews in the desk, and the other part of the program thinks there is one Mountain Dew, because you don't share memory. Like it's impossible to have multiple perspectives on the same piece of uh, the same variable, basically. And so that's actually really nice because that's a problem in Go and a lot of other languages. You also cannot have, I think you you avoid corruption and, and other like just problems. Let me think Yeah, here. I mean, like the isolation sounds nice in some regards. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Like, And when you want to do something that requires concurrency, so IO, like network requests and file reading. I think the way it works, or at least the way it worked a few years ago, was you make blocking or a function call that, that requires I.O., and then the runtime, JavaScript runtime, will switch context to something else that does not is not waiting anymore. And then when the thing that was waiting is now ready, it lets, I think it lets the current thread finish. I don't think it preempts threads. I think it lets it finish what it's doing. And then it pops this ready thread off the stack and then it continues to run your promises, like your thens and your afters or whatever that you have queued up. Yeah, uh, so that's pretty elegant in, in certain ways, if you like nesting and all that stuff. <laughs> Callbacks. Well, and so that does use real threats. So under the hood, you know, in the in the layer between V8 and Node, that is the C++ layer, it does have real threats. Those file yes. reads are going out in a real thread. But yep. they, they go back into the event loop, and the main thread can only do exactly one thing at a time, which is why, you know, like you said, you don't get the data races or whatever, but... Yeah, right. right. The, they aren't exposed to you, the programmer, which yes. is good and bad. Yes. It's it's good because you never have to think about data races, even though you still have things that you do, you still have concurrency issues you have to deal with, but not at the corruption, the memory corruption. Right. You won't corrupt memory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Your yeah. You can still have logical problems. Be, right. Yes. Definitely can still have logical issues. Memory issues. Um, yes. But yeah, you don't you don't get access to the threads. It's there's no there's no 
There's no locking mechanisms. Although with async await, you'd be surprised at things that people have managed to be able to do to create <laughs> new problems that didn't exist before. <laughs> yes. Like I said, JavaScript is clever. I'll just leave it at that. Are you stuck trying to figure out how to get to the next stage of your developer career? Maybe you're just not advancing fast enough in the job you're in, or you're trying to break in in the first place, or for whatever reason, you keep going to interviews and it's just not working. You want to land that dream coding job, but it just doesn't seem to be working out. Well, John Sanmez has written a book for you called The Complete Software Developer's Career Guide. He walks through each stage of the development career and all of the things that you need to do in order to move up, keep learning, keep growing, and find that next job that's going to get you where you want to go. So if you're stuck and trying to figure this stuff out, go pick up The Complete Software Developer's Career Guide. It's the number one software development book on Amazon. It's sold over 100,000 copies so far. I actually have friends of mine that reach out to me and go, hey, do you know this John Sanmez guy? Because his book is awesome. So go get the book. You can get it at devchat.tv slash complete guide. That's devchat.tv slash complete guide. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's got good, man. So Amy, was there any more questions on that? No, I think that's a pretty, that's good. And we kind of time box that. Yep. So I guess the last thing to to know really is, you know, we've talked a lot about the internal workings and capabilities of some of these web servers, kind of going back to our original conversation. I mean, what what do we need to know then? Because it seems like it may or may not matter, you know, which one we choose. We talked about the difference between Nginx and Caddy, but I mean, I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a... I don't, well, it doesn't, I don't know. Anyway, here's what I here's maybe I, what I would recommend. If you already have an existing deployment, especially one that's moderately complex, so it has more than like two moving parts or something, and it's already on another server like Nginx or Apache, and it's working for you, go ahead and just keep using it. However, I do I would say that switching to Caddy or using and especially using Caddy for new projects would be a good investment. Because Caddy will typically result in fewer moving parts. So if you were to set up an HTTPS site with you know, all your JavaScript, you know, maybe your single page app, whatever, with a traditional web server, you're, you're going to have to set up, get a certificate and set up a maybe CertBot or whatever other CA or, or, or certificate management, however you manage your certificates. You have to set that up and set up CertBot on like a timer and set up other services to to support your site. But with Caddy, it's all in one and it just works. So it also works at scale. So if you're deploying sites across multiple regions or, or instances, Caddy will work better at scale, especially for managing certificates than any other server. So, I mean, but if, if you're talking like local development, on your machine doesn't really matter, but Caddy will still give you a better user, like developer experience, I think, and and also makes it honestly, it's not too. It's pretty easy to configure a single page app. It's like two lines of config in a Caddy file. So if you do that a lot with your with your JavaScript applications, it's also easy one liner add a reverse proxy to your Node app. It's very simple. I, I think I would. What I would recommend is just looking into Caddy as an alternative because it's it's actually quite a compelling use case, I think, once you start exploring it a bit, especially if you're into automating your 
your infrastructure. Caddy is very highly programmable, has a great API, with uh, JSON API. All right, so I've got yep. two more directions that I'd like to go with this, if we end up having time. One is, earlier you talked about, it's important to learn the web stack from, I don't remember exactly what you said, but I think it was like HTTP and DNS to file system to the caching layer of the, the web server. Yeah. And I was wondering if you'd expand on that. Like, what are the most important things that you have learned or noticed that, you know, when people that are using Caddy, which a lot of them, at least initially were front-end developers, were drawn to Caddy because it was so easy to set up and you had such great examples for, here's how you do this with X, here's how you do this with Y. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, either from your, from your own perspective or from the perspective of the, all those interactions with others, what are the key things that help make things click for people and give them new opportunities in their projects and in their work? Hmm, that's a great question. So I would recommend, so this is like JavaScript developers, right? You've got a lot, you've got a lot that you have to think about, right? So your JavaScript gets run in the browser. You probably have JavaScript running on the back end with your node server and you probably understand very well how your front end and your back end work together how your front end makes http requests are they still called ajax requests can i call them that no will i get laughed at no but i will <laughs> they're they, they are still called that probably by the majority of the world but not in the circles <laughs> that we interact with <laughs> what do you call them requests just web requests oh, okay all right well Loss of specificity, but that's fine. Okay, hey, so you're going to get hate mail now. <laughs> why would I? Why would I get? Oh, I get hate mail anyway, Chuck. I wouldn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> so your front end makes requests to your back end endpoints that you've set up, your routes that you've configured in your Node app, and that might be all you know, and that might be all you need to know in order for your JavaScript service and your your site to run. However, when you're working with a web server, especially beyond just like the standard node built-in server, you're really going to need to know, one, how to use, I don't mean this condescendingly, but I don't really know how else to put it. You have to know how to use your computer. Like you have to know how to set up services, like system services and how to get them to run after you log out or quit your terminal. And so we see a lot of confusion there, but that's a really important part of your stack actually is you may not think about it because maybe you were taught it in like your first undergrad class at college or something, how to like run commands in a terminal and how to how to invoke node or you know, NPM and stuff. And that's great. But I think really understanding how to run processes and services on your system is important. The next thing that you that would be good to learn is the networking stack. So the difference, especially the higher layers of the OSI model. So things like the IP layer, the, the transport layer, uh, the application layer, how they work together. So what I'm is all this. that? Mean? <laughs> I'm loving that what? you're saying this. <laughs> What's OSI? What are these layers about? Oh, right. OSI is, all right, you caught me. I forgot what OSI stands for. <laughs> well, it's, it's the, uh, it's open the layers. Open systems interconnection. No one knows what that means. It's just well, the what, OSI it, model. Not, not, what, not what do the letters mean? What does it mean oh. for someone that oh. wants to learn it? For, like, why, why would, what does it gotcha. mean? What is the real <laughs> right, right. 
when you're connecting two computers or two processes on a computer, you'll there there, there are different layers in which it happens. The lowest layer is like the physical layer where the commun- like the electronic signals and optical light impulses and things like that. We don't have to hardware. worry about that. Yeah, the yeah, actual hardware the and fiber and the optic cable or the copper cable. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. And those, I mean, that without that, you, you don't have any communication, right? But this this model also applies within the same computer, right? So, because at higher layers, you you have things like sockets and addressing, and so you have like ports and IP addresses, and then you've which you probably all use those as you set up your services before. So, so understanding is example.com. So, okay. So example.com is a, is a domain name or a, a DNS name. And what, what your computer does is it has to make a, a lookup in some database, some registry called a, a name server that will tell it what IP address that points to. So example.com has an entry and basically a phone book, a computer, an internet phone book uh, that points it to a computer's address, an IP address. And then that IP address is actually what's usable in communicating with that website. So your computer, once it has the address, it, it can send packets, which are little pieces of data, to, to your home router, which your home router will then send to your ISP which your ISP will then send it to, you know, across the country to whatever. And then it'll just keep getting closer and closer to its destination until it gets there. And then it will, of course, find its way back to you as the server replies. So that's layer like three ad addressing, I suppose. But it uses a bunch of systems. And this is, I think, I'm glad you brought this up because you should also really know how, at least the basics of how DNS works and how it's related to addressing. Because even within the same computer, you can set up DNS and and routing using like a host file. And and if you're if anybody's using Docker, this is critical because oh yeah, Docker containers talking to each other. Right. So all this network stuff that we think we talk about happening over wires and across countries and continents also happens on your own computer, like our own physical machine. So understanding how sockets work and how how ad how addresses like interconnect and get routed like you need to know how your computer is configured for that yeah so that's is, really important this is, this is where i want to come in and say really quickly like not to discourage people like you know we have boot camp people listening like yeah they're not going to cover this in the boot camp but when people talk about software engineering being like a, a, a lifelong journey you know it's important when you're done to you know learning the basics that you dig into this stuff that's all I'm gonna say. Oh yeah, that's no, that's a great point. Yeah, and the boot camp doesn't need to teach you this, like, and that's okay. But I think if you do anything beyond the simplest stuff with your web server or your Node application or whatever, you should you should know like what is a socket and does it have an address and like it's in this state. What does that mean? Like, it's why isn't kind it of fascinating? Like, what, when stuff goes down, you know, you don't want to just like throw your hands up and be like, oh, you know, it's not working. But you know, it's interesting to dig into why when you have outages. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's also a valuable skill. Like, something I've learned is is just how how much how far you can really get if you just know how to troubleshoot problems. Because someday it's going to happen where you're going to launch a Node application and you're going to try connecting to it and it's not going to work. And you're going to be like, oh well, and, and like. 
uh, 75% of the issues we get on Caddy are actually like not necessarily bugs in Caddy. It's just helping people understand how their Docker setup is configured and how their firewall is misconfigured and stuff like that. So you've you've been saying like Caddy is the only you know web server that that does the HTTPS and and but I wasn't going to butt it at the time, but Greenlock also does this, which is written in Node, which obviously is not going to be as performant as Caddy is. But for people that are working in Node and want some kind of some configurability, like what you're talking about with Caddy, Greenlock does provide some of that, probably probably about to to a similar degree. And that's like most, I, I created a, a video a while back. I need to update it because the one that's out there is out of date. But I, I created a troubleshooting video where I just went through the errors that people encounter. Like, you know, you get people probably commenting on your issue board about, you know, e-adder in use or about, um, you know, they've got a fake domain name that they, they actually used example.tld or you get stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that same same thing. Like I get a ton of the issues that I get in for for Greenlock are actually just people and, and Docker, so much Docker, because Docker is a very complex tool that requires like I don't know how anyone could be using Docker without having learned sockets and hosting and, and but people do. And then they have these weird complex situations where I don't even have the vocabulary to speak with them about it because it's like, well, you're using a tool that's extremely enterprising and has lots and lots and lots packed in there. I'd recommend, you know, and I tell people this, I recommend just setting up on DigitalOcean, starting out with like very, very simple, just files and folders. And then as exactly. you learn more about that stuff, then go back to Docker once you have some of the foundational understanding, but some people, they want to, they want to go straight to Docker and I'm like, Oh yeah, well you need to do this. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, Oh, Oh, if you don't know about that, you know, and it's, it's stuff like, yeah, Docker's cool. <laughs> You're right. I mean, I'm totally that, that's kidding. What, that's what drives me nuts. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and fun fact, you don't need Docker to deploy caddy because it's a self-contained binary no dependencies, but yeah, no, I that cannot be emphasized enough to start simple and then grew out from there. And I don't know exactly how boot camps work, at least these days, but like, I know that JavaScript, even for me nowadays, like if I was to jump in and, and do like write a node application, I feel like it's overwhelming because there's so much stuff, so much framework, so much boilerplate, but really all you need to like really use JavaScript is a text editor and a JS file and, you know, window dot, whatever, like for the browser anyway. And Don't tell that to the people on Twitter. Oh, I know. <laughs> this is our little secret. But yeah, I wrote this article a couple of years ago how I, I just, I write, I make websites with my bare hands. Like, I prefer to just, just keep it simple and, and you don't need to introduce all this complexity into your stack, especially if you don't understand it. Like, you just have to know what's going on. It's okay to use these tools, but please, for, for your own productivity's sake, learn how they work and and that's hard and it takes time and but so worth it awesome so if there's no more questions on that there's one more thing i'd like to squeeze in does anybody else have any more i'm okay. enjoying your questions so one more thing i want to squeeze in matt you have done an amazing job at building a community around caddy and obviously you have a great product right? Like what you have is valuable and it helps people. 
So many people, a lot of our listeners have little pet projects that are valuable, that could solve a problem that thousands or millions of people could be getting benefit from, but they, they don't know how to do it. And they're sitting there with three stars on GitHub. And I, and I think like, I mean, obviously Caddy provides value, but you did something. If all you did was just build Caddy and put it up on GitHub, I can't imagine that anyone would be using it. What did, how did you garnish community? How did you make this accessible to people to the tune of, you know, you're now one of the most popular web servers? Uh, yeah, so I don't actually know the answer to that question. Because I, I did pub, publish it on GitHub, and then I, I posted it to Hacker News years ago, and, and it got to the front page, which, so that's, along with, like, this is true of anything that goes, like, viral or, like, gets on the front page of, like, link aggregation sites like this or, or Reddit or whatever. A lot of it is luck and timing. <laughs> There's plenty of stuff that should probably be on the page of sites like Hacker News that just never gets there. Some projects solve a very niche problem, which don't necessarily serve a wide audience, but they serve a very like loyal and passionate audience, perhaps, but it's very like focused. Uh, web servers are very general, especially web servers in the class that Caddy is in. So that helped for sure. So when I'm, I but, just Googled Hacker News Caddy because I wanted to find your original article, there are dozens of articles uh, either directly about caddy or oh yeah some of that's hate mail too <laughs> referencing caddy well i don't think any of the stuff on this first oh yeah yeah there there is a there's one or two things <laughs> Told you. less flattering <laughs> so all news is good news i've made my mistakes for sure but so is like so have people you know like a lot of wait lot people of things... have made mistakes too <laughs> well I'm just saying I'm not the only one who's made mistakes, but yeah. <laughs> but there's, so if I, it, when I search Hacker News Caddy, there are 1 million results. I don't think that's because there's 1 million articles, but maybe 1 million references to both Hacker News and Caddy. But yeah, like the first, like, I don't know, maybe 20 of these are all news.ycombinator.com and they are directly referencing Caddy. So it looks like this was a continued effort of, marketing caddy to hacker news over and over again over a period of years yeah that's true doing some controversial things will also help like what so, well like changing licensing in not a bad way like again just you do things that get people's attention especially the outrageous things or things that they can twist as outrageous that that can actually help your popularity people who are sensible may like We'll see through that. And those are who you want in your community. And so, again, I've made my share of mistakes, especially in the community building. But engaging with people, making sure that you answer issues, encouraging them to share and tell people can all help a lot. Cool. Well, the other thing that that, that says to me just regarding Hacker News is that like stuff doesn't just wind up high up on Hacker News, there's got to be some interest in it, you know, some desire for it. And, you know, having written plenty of XML to configure Apache web servers and having having tried to parse through some of the inscrutable bits of Nginx configs, you know, it's, it's, it's understandable that people are going to look at this and go, oh, 
this looks nice, right? Because if I could get a version of Nginx that only does the bits that I care about and makes that extremely easy or does them by default and then gets out of my way for the rest of things. And, you know, with Caddy, you know, having, I mean, just by virtue of having fewer options, you know, if it has the right options is something that I'm just going to look at it and go, huh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I need to pay attention to this. Uh, yeah, and beautiful way to put it. I wouldn't say that Caddy has fewer options. If you look at its full JSON config structure, so Caddy's config actually is natively, it's JSON. The, the Caddy file is a human readable, writable format that we convert right. to JSON under the hood. But if you look at the JSON options, it's actually very, there's a lot of stuff. But you don't have to use it all. Most of, like, all of those have same defaults. And that's, I think, what you're getting at, of course, is it's just, it just gets out of your way. That's why it's called Caddy. It, it just gets you what you need, and then it gets out of your way. Uh, wait, I don't know what Caddy means. I don't know how that's related to what you just said. Oh, well, I, I need so, to take AJ golfing. Yeah, there you go. I've never actually been golfing, and I kind of hate the name personally. I think people don't take the project seriously because the name sounds kind of dumb, but... Yeah, think of it like Caddy has like a holder for things. So Caddy, you can extend with all these modules and it can, you have fewer moving parts. Like you can put more into this web server that does more for you automatically. The other thing is that it's like a helper. So like, like when you're golfing, it can just gets out of your way and just makes your game, lets you focus on your game. I miss yep. the grass blade logo. I was so, so sad that you got rid of that. Still to this Me day, too. it was a better logo. It was a better logo. You should bring it back. I I agree. <laughs> That's not what you said last time we talked about it, but I'm glad you changed it. Well, I mind. just, okay, look, I just hate branding altogether. I'm just bad at it, <laughs> but I'm glad you liked it. I, I thought Caddy was a good name because I thought of it as like, I thought of it like golf, but I don't know what it means other than it's like a, it, I thought, okay, I'm going to sound really stupid. <laughs> the Caddy is the thing that. Stupid hold your golf clubs is that true or false that would be your I thought it golf was the person. bag it is the person that carries your golf bag the person that carries your golf bag okay <laughs> yeah, I think I you probably just said that like, but i was really? looking at hacker news trying to find oh, this i just laughed because i'm like you can't just carry it yourself i don't understand <laughs> not if you're a pro doesn't work that way anyway golfer privilege <laughs> uh, I, I I freaking love golf. So anyway, but yeah, so the, the caddies also tend to, if you've ever seen like the legend of Bagger Vance, he also like walks the golf course and can advise the, the golfer on, you know, the, the pitch of the fairway and stuff like that. So let me, it, let me tell you how much I haven't watched golf movies ever. I haven't even seen Happy Gilmore. That's a golf movie, right? I have to say, golf movies oh, are the best sports movies. Cricket. Plus, well, Happy Gilmore that... combines figure skating and golfing. <laughs> All right, let's real do quick picks. though, <laughs> we're way off in left field now. <laughs> Sorry, real quick though, before we before we finish, if I may, AJ, I think I'd be doing people a disservice if so. You know, we've talked about like a couple things that make the pop project popular or whatever. I think I'd be doing a disservice if I didn't mention that. Having a popular open source project is bittersweet, though. Like it's cool and sometimes self-flattering to have people using your project, and to it's somewhat satisfying to like write something that's useful for a lot of other people. 
but it's a lot of work and like doing this in through undergrad and grad school and sometimes a lot of hate. Yep. Uh, like so much so that I almost quit the project a couple of times. Um, and anyway, I would, I think before writing a piece of software in like little libraries or whatever in open source, and that's great. But if you're going to, in your own time and of your own volition, like write an open source project, you better be doing it for the sake of the community and to have really good, like, just, just have really good self-control over that because it can become very demanding, especially without, without pay, without compensation. Like it's, it's frustrating. It can lead to burnout if it does get popular. So I wouldn't necessarily wish for anyone to make a new popular open source project on their own free time. However, I would encourage companies and employees of companies to open source stuff and get involved in open source. So basically a situation where you already have the funding and and like it's your work hours or whatever, like doing open source for work is cool, is fun. and can be very satisfying with a lot less stress because you don't have to worry about the added burden and the, the fatigue of doing all this stuff in your spare time that you're probably already doing for work anyway during the day. Well, but without pay. But you didn't do it for. I mean, my understanding, if I if I got it correct, you didn't really do it for pay or for the community. You did it because you wanted a better tool and you were learning right. new things. But I sh- I should have probably instead kept a closed source and sold it if I was optimizing for my own like well like emo- like well being. I guess my like reducing my own stress. Yeah. So, so now I, but now it's a better situation because I do work on Caddy full time. I have a sponsor and employer actually, API layer that is, that is paying me to work on it full time. So, so do you, do you think, cause this is, this I think is where the edge went on the hacker news post and, and where like I've seen it in the community. When you, when you try to get to the point of, Hey, thanks community for using this. Now will you support me in it? That's when they turn on you. That's when they become the wolves, right? Yeah, that's rough. But if you're a company and you then open source something, that's always a good look. It's never a good look for some reason. I don't know why. It's like a bad stigma, but it's never a good look to take something open source and then and then like fiddle with the licensing or pricing. <laughs> the jump from zero to one is it's, it's the biggest difference between two numbers. But the, the yeah. um. So you, you wouldn't have, no one was going to hire you to do this, but you did it. And now someone is hiring you to continue it. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you had not made this open source, I, I don't, I, I have a hard time believing that you would have been successful in getting the traction to be able to sell it because somebody said, well, why would I buy something I've never heard of from you when there's something else that's you know, out there, which maybe I could be wrong. There might be a really great marketing spin on that with the, you know, whole Let's Encrypt integration, which would make it worth 99 bucks for a one-year license or, you know, a, infinite license with one year of updates or whatever. But but in taking it open source, it did lead you to being where you want to be, being to work on what you love full-time for a company that's sponsoring it, which is very rare. I mean, that happened with Node.js, yeah. it's happened with Caddy, it's happened with many projects, but we're talking in a planet full of 7 billion people. There's, you know, a couple thousand ten thousand that that's happening for maybe yeah yeah it's probably not super common i I also wouldn't say that everyone wants that i mean i 
I wanted it, but, and yeah, I'm definitely lucky in that sense, but, uh, yeah, it's not the only way to do it though, either. Because I could have totally have started it as a business or, I mean, it would have been a very different strategy, very different path would have been probably just as difficult, but yeah, it's just different. Okay. Yep. So and, no, and trade-offs are always interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out well though. We have a good community. So I hope you'll give Caddy a try if you haven't already. And I hope you'll give it a try too. I'm AJ right. O'Neill and I approve this Matt and Caddy. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that means much, but. There it means a lot, AJ, coming from you. Yep. All right, well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. I, I think we're kind of to that point. AJ, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah. So I'm going to pick Caddy, of course. And I've got a little Caddy cheat sheet on webinstall.dev, which Matt, I'd love it if you'd take a look at that and give me some feedback. If you think there's some other stuff that should go there, some things I should do more correctly, but it's just very simple, like basic, here's how you do a file server in a directory. And here's how you do like a typical reverse proxy. Oh yeah, this looks good. Looking at it now. Yeah, and the Windows installer is ready. So that will certainly be published before this goes live. So oh, that's cool. and, it's, and it's very simple. It's very simple. All this all this does is the webinstall.dev generates a bash script that depending on what system and arch- architecture you're on, it goes and downloads the correct file. It checks, is it a zip? Is it a tar? Is it uh, already an uncompressed EXE, whatever? And then just puts it in the right directory uh, and then updates your path. And then it prints out the stuff to the screen. So there's no magic. It's like, this is where it downloaded from. This is where it installed to. And then when you when you want to do an update, you've got a little tiny bash script that's, you know, you do webby, caddy, and then it just updates it to whatever the latest version is. Cool. And then also, one of the things that you mentioned, which I agree with you, it's good to know how your system works, but there's there's a balance between like, the stuff that's tedious and the stuff that's helpful. I think it's helpful to understand that there's a thing called system D and there's a thing called launch control. And there's a, I don't know what the windows thing is, but it's, it's helpful to know those things are there, but going through and like debugging all of the little itsy bitsy details of what could go wrong in a one-off config file. Cause there is no other config file in the world that looks like a launch D config file. It is, it's its own XML format that's really not similar to anything else. Well, I guess it's a plist, but people aren't dealing with plists. Same thing, like system D. System D is a completely custom format. It looks kind of like INI-esque, but it's a completely custom format, right? And you're never going to use it for anything else. And then same thing with the Windows thing. So I've got servicemen, and servicemen, it's just it's a go wrapper that templates out the correct file for whatever you want. And this is how I use to install Caddy on different servers is I just run sudo env path equals path, serviceman, and then uh, give it the options that I want it to run with. And it creates the systemd file, it puts it in the right place, yada, yada. So I'm, I, I'm gonna pick on my own little utility that I built serviceman and, um, there, because of what we've been talking about, 
I'm going to pick the Stack Overflow 2020 Developer Survey. As, as all of you know, I'm a big advocate of learning the basics. I've been working on beyondcodebootcamp.com, which is going to be, a, it, it, it's a paid course, but I've got a couple beta students right now that are going through the first versions of the material so I can iron the kicks out. I'm a big believer in, like, don't, don't go to a bootcamp for, for Python. You know, go to, like, learn how to be a software engineer and learn the fundamental pieces as well. Or, I mean, like, do go to a bootcamp or, or whatever, you know, like, do whatever you need to do that's a good option for you to en enhance your quality of life. But, like, don't, don't skip out on the basics. And the, the Stack Overflow survey, which, you know, there's a lot of different ways to interpret these numbers and whatnot. But if you, if you look at the technology section and top paying technologies, you know, you see up there, you've got Go, you've got Rust, you've got Bash. You know, and I, I can't imagine people are making a lot of money writing Bash. I'm, I suspect, this is my suspicion, but I suspect that the reason Bash is up there on high paying is that people that are up in high paying positions also know Bash. And so that's bringing Bash way up there towards the top because Bash is an old technology. It's not super useful in terms of you would ne like if you could pretty much you'd always want to write whatever you're writing in Bash, you'd want to write it in something like Go or, you know, potentially Python. But it turns out to be really, really super useful. And, and, you know, these old technologies, they're down at the bottom of the pay list, your C, your Java, your PHP, like that stuff is not, that's not up there. So I, I think learning skills that are, there's a difference between high availability and high demand, like learning a few skills that that are in high demand, that are the things that are making more money is a really good idea. And when you look at the Stack Overflow survey and you look at like the technology section, look at what languages are, are most loved, what languages are top paying, when you look at salary and you see like, where, where is the trajectory going? You know, you think, oh, well, maybe I wanna go from being a junior front-end developer to a senior front-end developer. But is that really going to change your career trajectory that much and, and in, a, like in a good time frame? When you look at some of these graphs, you see it's the people that know the networking layer, the SREs, the DevOps, and you know, even, even the full stack developers, the people that are on back end, they're, they're ranking higher. So these core fundamental skills, it's not that like learning Bash and how a file system works and how HTTP works is going to get you a $150,000 a year job, but the people that have those jobs know those things. So anyway, take a look at it. Awesome. Amy, do you have some picks? I'm going to back up what AJ is saying. I completely agree. And I don't know. I, there's room for everybody, but as somebody who really enjoys this stuff, I feel like, and it's like, it's like a career, a craft, you know, something that's important to me, you know, always learning more and understanding more deeply. Like it's something I want to do because I, you know, take pride in what I do and I want to be as good as I can be. So anyways, I guess on that note, I dropped this in the chat already, but, and I feel like I've mentioned it before, but I really like the Cloudflare blog. They have like an education section and they had pretty good, pretty short rundown on the OSI model. So I'll pick that. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else to pick. I'm going to pick learning about other cultures because we have an intern at work from India and I've been learning, I've loved working with her and been learning a lot about her culture and I really enjoy it. And it helps me, you know, understand that 
Western culture is, you know, not the only way. So that'll be it for me. Nice. All right. I'm going to throw in a few picks. So I have been working on the MVP, Most Valuable Programmer. And basically what it boils down to for me is it seems like, and we talked about this last time, I think every team seems to have that one or maybe two people on the team that everybody goes to to get input on what they're doing. They tend to lead a lot of the technical discussions. They tend to take the lead on how the team runs, agile development or otherwise, just stuff like that. And so there are certain behaviors that I found that certain, that they have that make them that MVP. And so I'm putting together a course called the MVP Bootcamp. Sorry, AJ, I kind of... <laughs> the branding. Anyway, so uh, I'm, I'm going to be putting that out here within the next week. And I'm doing a pre-launch similar to what AJ is doing. But I, I think if you're new, it looks like AJ, yours is geared more toward newer folks and mine's geared a little bit more toward advanced folks. That's um, that's what I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at how to help people either get that first job or get out of the junior rut. Yeah. Yep. And I'm I'm looking more at the people who are kind of the junior to mid level that are going, I'm stuck. So, you know, and and I'm really looking to help people get into things like podcasting, blogging, speaking, etc as well and advancing their careers that way. But anyway, I'm also working on a podcasting bootcamp. So if you're interested in either of those, the one is at devchat.tv slash MVP and the other one is at podcastplaybook.co. And so uh, you can definitely go check those out. Uh, besides that, I finally finished the Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks. And uh, it's a terrific fantasy series. Holy cow. I was a little worried that I wasn't going to be able to find another fantasy series that I really loved. I knew they had to be out there, but I, I was having trouble finding them. And, and that one has just been tremendous. Really, really enjoyed it. I think initially it was supposed to be a trilogy, wound up being five books, whatever you call that, a pentilogy. Anyway, but yeah, terrific book. So definitely enjoying that. And yeah, I'll have more picks to throw out next week to be sure. One other thing I want to throw out is I have put together a JavaScript resource guide and so if you're looking for IDEs or CICD pipeline tools or things like that, I've got links to a bunch of them that I know about on a page on devchat.tv. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And that way you can go and, you know, find the stuff that you need. And if there's a particular resource that you're looking for that's not listed there, let me know. And if you know of a tool that fits under one of those that's not listed there, also let me know so that I can make sure that, that those get listed. And uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's what I've got. Matt, do you have some picks for us? Oh, I did not prepare. Let's see. No, What's on my good. mind right now? Source. I use. I like using Sourcegraph to explore source code, code bases. I think it works for JavaScript too, which is really helpful. So you can like click and get information about like each identifier and find its documentation and where its definitions and things like that. So I don't know. Is that is that a pick? <laughs> That's yep. definitely a pick. I'm I'm surprised you found need to use something outside of the built-in Go tooling. What does Sourcegraph give you that GoDoc doesn't? Oh, you know, so a lot of times if I'm linking people, it's when I'm linking people to various places within the code base, I'll use Sourcegraph. Yeah. So because like, yeah, my built-in editor, the Go tooling is is great for what I need, especially nowadays. But it wasn't always that way. So I used Sourcegraph before that. But when I'm linking people to places in source code, I'll often link them to source graph. Yeah. Awesome. 
All right. Well, Matt, if people want to check in with you later online, where do they find you? You know, it's okay to just go to the Caddy community. That's at caddy.community. And you can post there. And I, I usually read every topic. I don't have time to reply to all of them. But if, yeah, feel free to post there. There's, we have a, a few active contributors who will answer pretty much everything. I think everything gets responded to. So yeah, I would go there. But what about what about you for you and like other projects you might uh, do or yep. do, you, do you ever tweet career oh. advice or what you learned today? I do have Twitter. Yeah. You could ping me on Twitter. Mholt6, M-H-O-L-T-6 on Twitter. Yeah. I'd love to chat with you on Twitter or yeah. Or GitHub. Like you can always post an issue, especially if it's like technical about the, uh, any one of the projects that I'm doing. Nice. All right. Well, go ahead and put links to all that stuff in the chat and we'll make sure they wind up in the show notes. And uh, yeah, this has been really fun. So we'll wrap it up. And until next time, folks, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.